to another edition of the Stats of War podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I'm going to keep this intro so short because I am so excited for the podcast we have tonight. I have Grant back uh, on, as always, and we chat a little bit about TCU's win over Texas this weekend. We talk a little bit about the uh, upcoming game against Oklahoma State and then answer a few questions, talk a little football, some really interesting stuff. Um, And then I have Adam Lunt of the Tape Doesn't Lie podcast, which is a impressively granular film breakdown podcast, uh, which focuses on Oklahoma state. So I will say, um, follow him on Twitter, follow them on Twitter, but also look for his podcast and I'll tweet the link out, um, after the TCU game. Cause they have great stuff breaking down, um, everything that goes on from Oklahoma state's point of view. So really great podcast tonight. Um, don't really have any housekeeping. Preview will be up probably tomorrow or Friday. Uh, other than that, follow me on Twitter at stats of war and enjoy the episode. Grant, on Saturday in the first half, TCU rushed on early downs 65.5% of the time and scored 13 points. In the second half, they brought that down to 52.17% rush uh, rush rate on early downs and scored 24 points. So I have one question for you to start this uh to start this podcast off. Where is your established the run god, Grant? Where is he gone? You know, from what I, I Parker, I don't know if you remember how that game went or not, but TCU's last touchdown came on a running play. So checkmate. I can't, you know, I can't uh <laughs> I can't argue with that. Um, yeah, well, it's Wednesday, and I've got Grant McGalliard here, um, as as always. And we are going to talk a little Texas, talk a little Big 12, and talk a little bit of Oklahoma State. So the TCU Horned Frogs go into, uh, well, stay at home and have the Texas Longhorns come into Amon Carter Stadium. Uh, the Horned Frogs were... Projected close by the line um, and came out and put up a performance that was that was pretty dominant. Their win ex- post game win expectancy was in the eighties. They took four picks from Sam Ellinger, a career high four picks, um, and really in the second half uh, came out in control. Sixty percent success rate in the third quarter to Texas's nineteen percent, and that was really the game right there. So a pretty dominant um, second half for TCU. A win that really reignited the fan base. And also kind of gave hope for uh, a bowl that potentially wasn't wasn't there going into this week. So Grant, uh, would love to hear your thoughts about this game. I know we've texted and talked a little bit. Uh, there's there's a lot to break down. Tell me about it. Yeah, no, there sure is. Um, I, I think um, what we have to kind of wonder watching TCU going forward is if this was an outlier game. Um, because Max Duggan played the best game of his, you know, his young career. Um, he had his first career interception. We've talked about how we kind of want him to throw picks because that means that he's throwing the ball and he's throwing the ball downfield. Um, he underthrew a wide open Jalen Rager, uh, which to me means that the play call was good and Duggan just underthrew it. He corrected himself by again uh, hitting, you know, Tay Barber hitting Pro Wells hitting uh, Rager again. Um, so it, we have to wonder if that's an outlier. We have to wonder if TCU picking off Ellinger four times is an outlier because I'm sure you, the advanced stats guy, know that turnovers are luck um, in, in a lot of different ways. But Gary Patterson said in his um, teleconference on Monday that turnovers also come with experience. And with a young secondary and a young linebacking core that TCU has, 
is that just experience leading to more turnovers? So is that going to be an outlier? Um, everything that happened in the Texas game, for the most part, was good, with the exception of Lucas Nian getting hurt, and we'll touch on that later. What I'm worried about, Parker, is is this an outlier? Um, I prefer to believe that it isn't, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, well, I think um, we, we again, because I am a member of the mm-hmm. Horn Frogs team, and so I refer to us in the first person, collectively, plural. Um, the Horn Frogs have, have not looked good in a game aside from Purdue and Kansas. And what do Purdue and Kansas have in common, Grant? They're bad. They're bad. Uh, and so, uh, again, you have to ask, is Purdue's defense worse than Texas? Is Kansas's defense worse than Texas? And in the current state that the Longhorns were, no. But the way that the defense responded, especially in the second half, and shut down Texas's offense was really, really encouraging. Mm-hmm. So I think that... Um, you know, Gary has said a lot of things this year, and I think that one of the things he was saying about getting right and getting healthy on defense is finally coming true um, because we do have some guys that are back. Vernon Scott's been in the rotation and gotten healthy. Uh, our Darius Washington is growing up uh, before mm-hmm. our eyes and looking amazing. Um, Garrett Wallow played as level-headed a game. Also, I um, have been critical of Ennis Gaines in the past, and it looked like he Played better than he has um, all game. Uh, Jeff Gladney started out started out rough, but in the second half, really, really locked it down, which was great. I mean, he's playing against a great receiver, so you know you got to weight that some in the first half. But he looked a little lost, and then and then brought it together. So I think defensively, this is a step forward, not an outlier. For, for sure. And if I may interject just just real quick, Patterson Please. said after the game, a lot of that, not a lot of it, because he credited the players as well, but he he did make an adjustment. Um, moving from a more aggressive scheme in the first half, blitzing more, uh, running more man coverage. Whereas in the second half, he was like, you know what, we're going to rush three, drop eight, and see if Texas can beat us. Um, And so when TCU did that, they were able to sort of mask some coverage and get pressure with three guys on the front line, which credit to the defensive line, they they haven't been that great all year, but they were able to flush Ellinger out of the pocket and force some mistakes. So when you have eight guys in coverage, those mistakes lead to interceptions. Definitely, and and you can you can see a huge transition on the defense. Um, in the second quarter, there was the running back touchdown. Uh, I think it was Keontae Ingram, where yep. he was just wide open. It was complete blown assignment. You saw the safety creep up and and kind of double down on Colin Johnson going inside. The linebacker was frozen in the middle of the field. Didn't even didn't even have a chance to recover. Um, and that was aggressive. And Texas made them pay for it. Uh, and so you saw in the second half, Gary said, that's not happening again. And, um, and that definitely didn't happen again. And Patterson so, talked oh, about that play specifically. He, mm-hmm. he, he said, you know, basically if you watch pre-snap, they just switched Ingram to the other side of the backfield mm-hmm. and no one called it out. Uh, yep. That's literally what, what the difference was. If they would have run that play to the right side where Ingram originally was, they would have at least had a coverage plan for it, but they switched it to the left. And literally, I, I think I was the closest person to Ingram and I was in the press box. So yep. <laughs> I wasn't I, I a lot of help. You know. I think I think at that point in the game, Melissa was probably the closest person. Yeah, to well, well, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> she got very um, close. To yeah, the it, it always makes me a little nervous. Again, we're not we're not great X's and O's guys. We're learning, and we're going to talk about mm-hmm. that. But um, when especially when you're playing a really good, really experienced quarterback like Sam Ellinger, when he calls something and people move, and then the defense doesn't move in response, that makes me very nervous. Um, that, that's one of those, hey, maybe this shouldn't be happening kind of things. So um, other than that, yeah, the defense made great adjustments and kind of locked it down, which is really, really great to see. On offense, 
I'm very worried that this was an outlier. And here's why. Gary Patterson, I think this was in the press conference. Jamie Jamie Plunkett sent me this today. Um, and Gary said, really, like every ball game we've played, we started slow, and as the ball game has gone on, it's gone faster. We really probably need to look at ourselves. What are the reasons we start slow? I direct you to my early downs passing rate stat from earlier. I uh, It happened against Iowa State. For some reason, there is a disconnect about what makes the offense work. Um, and so uh, given what Gary has been saying, given what's happened all season, I think this is an outlier, but I have two reasons for optimism. Yes, I'm going to be optimistic about TCU offense. It's going Big to step. happen. Big step. Big step. You know who's awake and healthy? So not just that he's awake, but he's also healthy? Tay Barber. Yeah. Um, and he looked awesome and could have looked even more awesome if Duggan hadn't got a little happy on one pass that probably he could have broke for big. Um, but Barber looked so good and really, really shows how even just one more option besides Pro Welts and Jalen Rager that you have to account for Um really, really makes this defense confusing. Uh, John Stevens Jr. had a couple good catches. And so uh, Barber being that true second option does a couple things. One, takes focus off Rager, takes focus off Pro Wells, makes it they have to cover more of them, but then also allows some guys who are younger and need to develop more the opportunity to run better routes that are suited for them to, to get the ball in better situations. And so there's kind of a general equilibrium effect of Tay Barber's better, but then he also kind of makes everyone else better. Um, the second reason for optimism... Oh, no. I had a really other good reason for optimism, well, and now I can't think of it. Well, while you're looking for it, um, can I make a point? Please. Um, obviously, so like you said, uh, Tay Barber being that makes everyone else better. Everyone else includes Jalen Rager. So yeah. the touchdown that Rager scored, he had single coverage, and he just straight up beat his man. Um, and having someone else that has the ability to stretch the defense, run past the cornerback, you know, whatever – um, gives TCU, again, like you said, and, and I'm not really breaking any new ground here, but just just another option as a deep threat. And, and John Stevens Jr. is a good receiver. He caught that um, out route on third down on the final drive of the game. That was a huge catch, and Duggan made a great throw to him. Um, but just guys like that, that that have the ability to take the focus away from Rager, or if you leave them in single coverage, they have the potential to burn you. Like That's what TCU's been missing. With Barberback, with Mikel Barkley, who... Didn't play much. I think he played a couple snaps on Saturday, but but he had, certainly isn't himself. Um, once he's 100%, that's only going to help TC more, and it's only going to get more receivers in single coverage, which, again, like, Duggan can make those throws. He proved it. He has to do it on a consistent basis, but he does have the ability to make them. Yeah, and, and uh, so, so I think it's uh, awesome that uh, 10 guys had a catch. Yeah. Uh, Carter Ware, <laughs> Carter Ware caught a pass. I don't know why they called that. It was a terrible play, but Carter Ware caught a pass. They were really, um, throwing the ball around, which was great. Um, another interesting thing, which is going to segue into my next option, Grant, um, do you know what Darius Anderson's longest run on Saturday was? Man, I, I don't know, like 11 yards, six yards. Do you know what Shewa Olana Lewis longest run was on Saturday? Ten? Eight yards. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Max Duggan had a long of 14. He ran for 13 carries for 72 yards and um, was really, really effective. And so that brings me to my second reason for optimism. A lot of post-game conversation of Gary uh, was talking a little bit about Max Duggan kind of growing up and coming to his own. I disagree with that. I think that's 
you schemed better and you got better results. But I wonder if it's not also a cause for optimism to think that Gary saw Duggan thrive when Sonny was handed the reins a little bit more. Um, and that going forward might help that first half sluggishness problem by, by Gary less talking about establishing the run, time of possession, and all that, and giving a little more, a little more flexibility to uh, kind of bring, bring more air raid concepts into this offense, which is what we thought Cumbie was going to bring I, yeah, all I, along. Well, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll nitpick on that first point there, which is that I, I do think Duggan made throws that he hasn't made before. I think the pass to Pro Wells in the end zone was an extremely good throw. Uh, it had a little too much air on it, but Texas's defense isn't that great, so it escaped the defense. But uh, a lot of the, you know, the deep routes, whatever, Duggan would have overthrown those in early weeks. I mean, he, we're watching him improve, and I'm sure the scheme was better, and I, and I think it was. But I do think we're watching Duggan get better before our eyes. So I'm not going to completely discount the fact that he's made throws that he just hasn't made all season because against Purdue or against SMU or whatever, those would have been ten yards past his receiver. Definitely, and there's the whole you know fastball changeup thing, and it's it's definitely two things happening at once. Where he's being given the opportunity to make smarter throws. Again, last week against Kansas State, um, we were complaining about you know only screen passes and only thirty yards down the field. We saw a lot of intermediate drive. Yep. How beautiful was that end of the second half drive? Oh. Where we were just because Texas was sitting back in prevent, mm-hmm. they were running three mm-hmm. and then a line of four, and we just had basically hitches and crosses underneath that second line of defenders. So beautiful. And Duggan, I you know, I went back and watched, and there's a couple times where I'm saying, hmm, if I'm watching film, I probably throw it to the other guy uh, on the side of the field. And so there's a couple of those like maybe judgment calls, but you schemed so well, he can get the ball out quick, mm-hmm. and that that really really helps. Right. So I so I agree. It's two things happening at once. So credit to Cumby for scheming better. And credit to Duggan for finally making throws that we've expected him to make the entire year. I just want to make that point that I, I I do think Patterson wasn't wrong in saying that Duggan was making throws that he hasn't made. Basically. Definitely, and I mean he put up a uh, he put up a QBR of eighty eight point one, which is the second highest that um, Texas has seen all weekend. He put up a higher QBR than Carter Stanley than Jalen Hurts did against Texas, only second to Joe Burrow, and even then by a fraction of a point. So a really, really good game from Duggan, Mm -hmm. a really, really good game from the offense. Um, And even though it felt like the rushing game was a little underwhelming, still 162 yards got got what you needed. Um, And so that, that was encouraging as well. So as far as your question about is this an outlier, I think until we see this happen twice, it is, which again, definition of an outlier, but there are reasons for optimism for sure. No, I, I think that's a really great way to put it. And and we'll, and we'll get to this later, um, but I think Oklahoma State will be a really good proving ground for that. But Definitely. we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, um, yeah. I just want to clean up on some stats because uh, sure. Bill Conley posted his... Um, Posted his advanced box score, and I you know, love those. So uh, TCU win expectancy was actually in the 90s, 95%. Um, TCU, points per scoring opportunity, 6.17. Uh, national average is 4.43. TCU coming into this game was not doing anything approaching that in terms of finishing drives. Um, also, as I mentioned, that third quarter success rate was pretty crazy. TCU held Texas to a 34% success rate on the game. Um, and a 27% passing success rate. They shut the pass game down. Ellinger was 22 for 48, um, and really with four interceptions, and 
posted a QBR of 44.5, which again, QBR takes into path, it takes into account passing and rushing. So they really neutralized Ellinger. That was his third worst um, QBR of the game. The last thing that I will note is that on standard downs, so that when there wasn't an obvious pass or rush tendency, TCU really, really limited Texas, held them to 35% success rate and less than a point in ISO PPP, which is isolated points per play. Um, and so really, really like to see that um, there was just some kind of key bottleneck points where TCU said, this is our line, we're going to stand here and not let you have this. And they did that and that paid off uh, overall. For sure. And and I, I don't have the stats in front of me. Um, I apologize for that. I But as far as red zone defense goes, like TCU has not been a good red zone defensive team this year. Um, and they did benefit from Texas missing a really like a chip shot field goal, but they played well in the red zone. Like I thought that was big. I don't, I don't want to overlook that. Um, like I said, I don't have the exact number in front of me. I could, I could get it for you. Yeah. But, no, well, Texas um, was a uh, 4.5 points per opportunity. So right about, right about league average, um, which is again, holding them to, you know, just a little more than a field goal per scoring opportunity, which Scoring opportunity is first down inside the 40, which for an offense like Texas is, um, which is really lethal and has a really experienced quarterback and one of the best receivers in the Big 12, if not the nation. Um, and to be able to hold them in the red zone to field goals uh, was was huge, um, oh, which yeah. is, again, that that bend don't break kind of thing for, for TCU. So really encouraging to see that as well. For sure, for sure. And and I, it, it, it was weird to me that I felt like Texas – I'm sorry. I mean, I'm, I mean, we're getting in the weeds at this point, but I feel like Texas abandoned the run at, at a lot of points, and I think that has to do with TCU being a really, really good like run defense team. Like they basically just took away that option for Texas. Um, at least it, that's what it felt like. Um, yeah, I'm, that- I'm looking at some of these more stats. I wonder if on here I'm just kind of spitballing of this. Uh, sometimes he posts like the um, pass, the percentage of pass on on standard downs. It doesn't look like he has that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, TCU stuffed Texas 13% of the time. They held them below national averages on opportunity rate and highlight rate, which um, those are kind of measures of how how good of a push the line got uh, mm-hmm. for, for a running back to move. And uh, yeah, 4.4 yards per carry. And so, you know, that was, Texas has been hurt on running back and we know that's deficient. And so for TCU to take that away completely, and then be able to be ball hawks on defense and get some interceptions, make a big halftime adjustment. Really, really encouraging to see. Feel really, really positive about this. Going to have to worry just a little bit about replicability um, yeah. because Ellinger was pushing a lot. But we'll kind of see how that how that pans out uh, coming up as we transition to Oklahoma mm-hmm. State. So before we do that, uh, do you have any more thoughts on TCU's 37-27 victory over the Longhorns? Uh, no, I, I do want to give a shout out to uh, TCU's new punter. <laughs> um, R.I.P. Jordy Sandy. <laughs> R.I.P. Jordy Sandy. I'm still on the hype train. Uh, we have taken a detour, um, but I do think that once we refuel and stock up on coal, um, that we will be able to get this thing going. But Dylan Jones did a great job in relief. Um, and shout out to Griffin Kell, a 52-yard field goal in the half that I don't think anybody saw coming. So no, congratulations. I, I, yeah, that was that was completely unexpected. Um, and great job for the backup punter to come in and, and perform yeah. just kind of, you know, presumably cold. Um, you I have know two, I love punters. Okay. So. Big fan of punters. Yeah. Um, I have two two things. So one, uniforms. The, the bodies kind of grew on me as the game went. Yep. 
And the helmets looked worse the more I liked the bodies. Is I think that was my final. I saw them in person and then watched the game again on TV. And between those, I think the helmets were bad, and I actually liked the bodies. I'm going to defer to, uh, and I, I don't mean this in a sexist way. I'm going to refer to the, uh, the women in my life, aka my mom and my grandma. Absolutely. Um, my grandma is a TCU alum, class of uh, nine, well, she didn't actually graduate, but she also dated Bob Lilly. Fun fact. Nice. Um, Who was mom, the Rifran video this weekend? It, so for great sure. connection, looping everything in. Uh huh. My mom says I don't like these uniforms. They look dusty. <laughs> And uh, my grandma uh, says, um, I hope that we don't wear these uniforms ever again. So that's, that's kind of where the, the, um, the experts are at. Hilarious. Um, d- uh, shout out to Carrie, right? Yes, Carrie and uh, yes. Helen and Ryan, noted, noted grandmother of, big, uh, of me. Yeah. Big friends of the show. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and, and uh, according to Gary Patterson, we won't see them again. So it's fun they did something different. Evidently, players were hyped. Um, okay, I do have one last uh, item of marginalia to talk about before we move on to Oklahoma State. I noticed a beautiful picture of Garrett Wallow putting Sam Ellinger in the ground, which mm-hmm. underrated. I'll take a detour real quick and say, hello, defensive line. It's nice to see you. Mm-hmm. Um, hello, uh, pressure on the quarterback. Very nice to see you. Does Garrett Wallow have a leg sleeve of tattoos? I haven't noticed it. Okay, that picture with Sam Ellinger, though... It looks like his leg is tattooed, but I feel like I've seen him a lot and that isn't the case. So I don't know. I don't know if that's just like, I have never I, noticed it. I but. love Garrett Wallow. Um, I He's an interesting guy. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he did have it. I'm looking at um, pictures now. I don't think he does. Okay, um, so I will check uh, next time I see him at a press conference, but I, I don't believe that he does. It's, it's the picture... Um, this is great podcasting, everyone. Yeah, but we need to know. Podcasting is a, is a visual medium. I really was trying to vamp until we... Uh, no, <laughs> no okay. that's fine. This is, until I, we went to bed. Now I'm okay. curious. Yeah. No, this is 100% the picture of Garrett Wallow completely bodying Sam Ellinger. It's on my Twitter feed. He 100% has a grandfather clock on his right calf. I hope um, he does, because that's an yeah. incredible tattoo. It is yeah. awesome. It looks so, so manly. Um, so hardcore. Yeah, so... <laughs> That's maybe it's not a question. Maybe it's an exclamation. Garrett Wallow has a leg sleeve, which is awesome. Uh, that's the hard hitting analysis that you're looking for. Um, yeah, it is at the Stats Award podcast. But yeah, I'm very excited to hear that. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, that's the Texas game. We're super excited, but we're cautiously optimistic that they're going to replicate it. Grant, we're going to talk about Oklahoma State first. Let's hear uh, an advertisement from our corporate overlords. Let's do it. And we're back. Go buy a mattress or listen to another podcast as you have Preferably been so to shut down podcast, the internet's do not, only college football podcast. Do not encourage those guys. Um, there's going to be a giant sinkhole in Jacksonville this weekend where they're doing their <laughs> live podcast, and it's fine. It's it's God's wrath. Um, I got so distracted there. Yeah, so let's talk about Oklahoma State. Um, Oklahoma State comes in... I keep saying comes in, and I really don't mean it because I'm saying it the opposite way. Uh, But what I mean is Oklahoma State and TCU are going to play a football game, an Mm -hmm. American football game, in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a state in the middle of the country. Um, TCU has not fared well in Oklahoma State except for one awesome game in 2017 where Mike Gundy said the most beautiful phrase I have ever heard pregame in my entire life. And I sort of quote, Gundy said, 
I don't know what anyone would do to stop our offense. And TCU came in and they stopped Oklahoma State's I, offense. I, I, I also want to point out that Oklahoma State stopped its own offense by calling a <laughs> halfback pass, if I remember correctly, uh, in the red zone. That was with- so incredibly dumb. What my favorite part about it is in the highlight is whoever made the interception, which if I was a real TCU fan, I would know, um, had a moment where he like kind of looked around and thought, is this a trick? Is someone going to come kill me because I catch this ball? And then he caught it, like still had time to consider his life before he caught the ball because it was that bad of a pass. Yeah. Yeah. One of the most incredible play calls that I've ever seen. Um, have, you, have you ever been to Stillwater? Park? I have. My, my senior year, we tried to go to all the close games. It okay. was um, 2000, the fall of 2012. Mm-hmm. Did, did not go well. TCU got smacked. It was very bad. I've only been once. It was 2016. That was the year that Oh, no, excuse me, 2015. That was the year that um, TCU entered undefeated and then Boykin threw, I think, three or four picks, including a pick six to a uh, big white stiff linebacker. And I think James Washington had like three touchdowns. And Doxon hurt his wrist in that game yep. too. That's, yep. Oh, that Same was game. so bad. Oof. Yep. Um, yeah, Stillwater's great. One of my favorite things about Stillwater that I have taken back to Fort Worth is opposing fans were so nice. Um, oh, yeah. Hey, welcome to Stillwater. Have a beer. Uh, mm-hmm. Just very nice. So so really like those guys. Um, Want to beat them on the football field, but don't feel any animosity to them. Really, mm-hmm. really great um, fan base. So Oklahoma State is 28th overall in S&P. Excuse me, 27th overall in S&P. Um, they're 10th in offense, 55th on defense, whereas TCU is now 28th in off, uh, overall, 37th on offense, 30th on defense. The SP Plus prediction for this game is Oklahoma State by just under three points with a 56% win probability. I ran my own EPA-based numbers, um, a really, really naive model, and I actually have TCU by four with a 60% win probability. Granted, I went two and three last week, so don't don't listen to me, but I just want to throw those out in the ether that my my numbers think that Oklahoma State's defense is so much worse than TCU's mm-hmm. offense that that's really going to be the deciding factor in the game. Yeah, and I completely agree. Um, that's kind of what I had highlighted in you know looking at game notes, stuff like that. Um, if they're especially bad against the pass, I mean, they're 117th in the country in passing yards allowed. Um, they're 72nd in rushing defense. I know those are raw numbers, not necessarily opponent. Um, adjusted and then to be fair they have played like Tulsa which is a good G5 team um, but it's a weird G5 team it's yeah. also yes yeah, extremely weird G5 team um, why Oklahoma State would ever play Tulsa I'm not sure I know it's only an hour away but if you lose that game like you're just losing Oklahoma the state um, but yeah their defense just isn't very good and and, and it's funny because you and I talked before the season about um, my idiot prediction that Oklahoma State secondary could potentially be very good um, when we did a unit preview, um, and they're just not. They just haven't lived up to expectations. They've only forced, I believe, five interceptions this season. Uh, not that TCU's forced uh, much more than that, but they just haven't challenged defenses that much, and as a result, like the, I don't think they've given up fewer than, um, looking at their schedule right now, um, yeah, they haven't given up fewer than 14 points this year, and that was against McNeese. So against any reputable opponent, they've given up at least twenty points in every single game. Not great, Parker. Yeah, uh, I do notice they did they did hold Kansas State weirdly to um, thirteen. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, outside of that, I mean, they My let bad. like Sorry. they lost My to bad. Texas Tech forty five to thirty five. They let Baylor put up forty five. They let um, Iowa State put up twenty seven. Um, and so yeah, they 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 are points prone. Um, 
They also yeah. let Oregon State, who has an admittedly very much improved offense, they let Oregon State put up 36. So um, my EPA numbers, again, for those of you listening at home, I'm becoming a pros- uh, proselytizer, but EPA, expected points added, just says based on down, distance, and um, adjusted yard, or sorry, yard line, what do we expect to happen versus what you actually did? So positive value means you you improved your expected points. So for defenses, negative expected points is better because you're limiting the value that your opponent adds. Oklahoma State I have as dead last uh, in EPA. On early downs, they are allowing 0.116, so over a tenth of a point of value on average. A little bit better to, on the run, but uh, pretty, pretty bad on the pass. They're allowing 0.265 expected points added per pass. So, yes, our conversation about um, their defensive backs feels uh, a little Hollow, bit obsolete. You might say. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and so, yeah, so I, I completely miss, uh, yeah, that, that's my fault for uh, misreading that Kansas State stat. But, yeah, they just simply haven't, like, stopped teams. And it's been weird because they've also, like, like you said, beat Kansas State 26-13. They beat Iowa State number 23 last week 34-27. Like, they can beat – it's so weird. They could beat slower teams at their game. But they can't beat, like, Tech or Baylor that run up-tempo offenses at their game. Like, you know, like it's very hard to get a read on Oklahoma State. I feel like. Some might say that – this should induce TCU to run more tempo and not worry about time of possession. Well, listen, Parker, I mean, that's just a wild, wild I know. thought. I, I know. I, Look, I, 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 my radical conspiracy theories aren't helping anyone. I understand. <laughs> no, no, I, but you're completely right. Like, like, Duggan should be able to throw the ball against this defensive backfield. Like, even if TCU does want to run the ball, Oklahoma State does not have a good run defense. Yep. They should be able to score points. They, um, they definitely... They definitely do. They definitely do, um, and I think scheme will go to a lot of that. But um, let's let's flip to the other side of the ball because I do want to talk about Oklahoma State's offense. I've been trying to break down offensive tendencies, and so I'm just looking at uh, kind of situational passing down versus standard down and different uh, areas of the field. And the thing that I really jumped out to me is that when Oklahoma State is inside the opponent's 35, so a scoring opportunity, pretty roughly, they're rushing. 76% of the time, which is 20th in the nation. Wow. And they're averaging an EPA of 0.14 on those plays, which is 35th in the nation, a 53% success rate, which is 19th in the nation. Chuba Hubbard is a force to be reckoned with, especially when the field gets short and you have to line up and just kind of hit him. Um, and so I'm, I'm very interested to see that matchup versus a defensive line for TCU that has been a little underwhelming, but improving. And a volatile linebacking core where you have Garrett Wallow, but then you kind of had the revolving door trying to fill that second position. Um, so I think that's really a key matchup here is Oklahoma State's rushing success um, versus versus TCU's defense. Uh, the one thing that I will note is on passing downs, they um, are 26 in the nation on success rate. And they're rushing 60% of the time. So they're not afraid to line up on first and 10 or second and eight and rush with Chuba Hubbard. And TCU is going to have to adapt while accounting for a very explosive over the top offense. Yeah, no, that's crazy. Um, And you kind of look at their stats throughout the season and that shows up like Chuba Hubbard is like, if you look at Oklahoma state's um, like game notes for this game, Chuba Hubbard and Barry Sanders are mentioned in a lot of the same sentences together. You know what I mean? Like he's not putting up, quite what Barry did, but he's doing like the best since Barry. 
Uh, whereas Spencer Sanders, who is a good quarterback, hasn't thrown for over 300 yards this year. So he'll develop and he'll get better. He's only a freshman right now, a, a redshirt freshman. But yeah, Tuber Hubbard's the focal point of this offense. Um, and TCU's run defense is very good. And the Kendrick Van Zant, from what I've read, should be back this game. But is he enough to kind of make the difference at linebacker? I don't know. I think it's going to be really skip. It's going to be a very fun schematic game in terms of run defense versus run offense. And say which one about Mike Gundy. He is a very good offensive-minded coach. And the new OC from uh, Princeton, I can't forget his name, but yeah, Sean Gleason. Thank you. Very interesting guy. And uh, I'm curious to see what he draws up. Yeah, they do. Uh, so so Gundy really isn't, hasn't handed him the reins entirely, which understandable. But um. The Princeton was always doing these weird kind of like arc motion and just a bunch mm-hmm. of crazy stuff. So I'm really interested to see the Gleason influence on kind of this um, this this highlight of a matchup of Gundy offense, Patterson defense that we've gotten to see so long in the Big 12. Um, I, I will mention two things. Spencer Sanders, 0.157 EPA per passing attempt, which is only 0.02 better than Max Duggan. Although Sanders has thrown uh, about 35 passes more than Duggan has. So he's been way more involved. Obviously, Duggan was limited reps earlier mm-hmm. on um, and then is, is catching up a little bit. Uh, the other thing that I'll note that if anyone from Oklahoma State actually listened to this, they would be mad about. Chuba Hubbard is mostly adding value through volume. Uh, he is leading the nation in rushing attempts, which is why he's leading in yards. And no one really talks about yards per carry when they talk about Chuba. They talk about... Hey, how many touchdowns does he have? Or, hey, how many, you know, there's a lot of counting stats to justify Juba Hubbard. And the reason that you don't see his Heisman odds increasing basically at all is because uh, people not affiliated with Oklahoma State can see that counting stats are not exactly indicative of much more than a, like quality, but really volume. Right. I mean, I'm too, he's not a bad running back. Like, no, very he's clear. good. He's, he's very good. good. But the Barry Sanders thing, maybe like, I don't know. I don't know. No, so no, Barry I, I, I know what you mean. And I, yeah. I, I felt and it's bad not you. That that's up, not you, but yeah. For sure. I, I, and I mean, the media guy's not going to break into, you know, exp- yeah, I'm not going to make up a stat. You know, it, they're not going to get into the nitty gritty. They're going right. to look at the counting stats and say, you know, whatever, uh, that he's the best since, since Barry. But um, yeah, no, Oklahoma State runs the ball. I mean, and it's weird to say about Oklahoma State because – they have a guy that we haven't even talked about yet, and Tylen Wallace, that is just an absolute menace at wide receiver. But for now, they're they're content to let Chuba run it. But I'm curious to what your stats say about Tylen because that guy is insanely good. Yeah, so um, I, I I'll I'll note that Oklahoma State is running the or passing the ball less than forty percent of the time on first and second down. Yeah, but um, what I have done this year uh, or done this week, which might segue into our explain it like an idiot segment, Mm -hmm. although I might do another segment like that is kind of this like on base on base average kind of stat. So like weighted on base average in baseball says not only how many times did you get on base, but what was the value? So, you know, if you get a double, it's a little bit like slugging percentage. It says a double is worth two, but it associates it with uh, runs instead of bases. Okay. So I tried that for for football. And so all I did was I took the success rate and then I multiplied the success rate times the EPA on those plays, right? So I basically got a sum of the EPA you generated on successful plays and I divided that by total plays. So that right there wraps up success but layers in explosiveness on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of in the open field 
on standard down. So open field, I'm defining as 25, your own 25 to your opponent 35, mm-hmm. just kind of in the middle there. Oklahoma State is seventh in this OBP kind of stat, or excuse me, uh, on base percentage. That is OBP. Uh, <laughs> on base percentage kind of stat. They're seventh in the nation. Um, so they're really, really good at making you pay when you commit to the run. Mm-hmm. Um, taking Wallace over the top. So he's he's been really, really valuable. He's also had some insane highlights. I'm sure you saw that play. Well, I can't just say that play because there's been multiple of them. But um, this weekend, I think it was, he Iowa caught State. a ball against Iowa State. Yep. Two guys hit him, and somehow he just absorbed the blow, ran, spun off another guy, took a big hit, and then waltzed into the end zone. Just incredible, um, incredible... I, I, physical specimen as yeah. much as i love the max duggan stiff arm against kansas state and i do the stiff arm he had against iowa state I, I was in the press box of the tcu game and i don't think anyone in there saw like a three-play stretch in tc versus texas because every single person was on their laptop looking at what tyler wallace just did um he stiff armed an iowa state defender into the earth's crust um, yeah. The man's insane. He's a junior. He was a Blitnikoff Award finalist last year. He's extremely good. And every year, T- or excuse me, Oklahoma State has a wide receiver that TCU's just going to have to guard. I mean, it's been James Washington for years. Um, it was Thailand last year. It's Thailand again this year. And I, I mean, Gladney's going to have to carry the brunt of that load. He, he did fine against Colin Johnson in the second half. I think TCU helped him out a little bit more with some of their coverage schemes in that half. But um, yeah, it's not going to be easy. I mean, if Oklahoma State wants to throw the ball and if TCU commits and sells out its safeties and its linebackers to get up closer to the line of scrimmage, then Thailand's just going to have another highlight real play. Definitely. And and TCU and Oklahoma State are in very similar situations on the quarterback side of things. So, um, well, you know, I said, I said they're very similar in EPA, but you still kind of have a young guy who the, the quarterback or the coach is reluctant to give the full reins. And so Sanders is definitely a little more polished than Duggan. But um, I think that... What the, 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 my point saying that is that the defensive line is going to have to stay awake and perhaps become even more awake because you've got to disrupt him because if Sanders has time, uh, Wallace will get open and he will make you pay. Well, and here's the other thing too. And I'll, listen, I'm a Max Duggan defender. I mean, all of us, both, both of us are, but, um, Sanders can run and not saying Duggan can't, but Sanders has two 100 yard rushing games this year. Um, so it's not just that TCU is defending against the pass. They have to stop him from getting out of the pocket and running the ball. Like that's an underrated part of what Sanders brings to the table. Definitely. Um, yeah, so let's see. Um, I want to go ahead and let's let's talk predictions, and okay. then we'll get into a little bit of – we'll do predictions and then do a break, and then we'll do a little bit of uh, various and sundry questions mm-hmm. and then a couple of things we've talked about this week. So uh, go ahead and give me your um, – how does TCU beat Oklahoma State? What does it look like? And then what is your prediction? Okay. Uh, I, th- I think they're going to be one and the same. Um, I-, I do have TCU winning this game, although I'm, I'm, I wouldn't necessarily – Sam more than about 60% confident in that. But um, I think TCU is going to embrace what they did against Texas in the second half on offense. So by that, I mean throwing the ball around, getting receivers involved. I think Barkley, um, if he's healthy, is going to play more of a role. Um, Barber's going to play more of a role. And with that, they're going to spread out sort of a weak secondary for Oklahoma State. Um, 
And again, it's not like Oklahoma State's great at run defense. So TCU can score in two different ways. Um, Sanders is going to get his. Uh, Chuba Hubbard's going to get his. But I think TCU comes out with a, let's say, uh, 38-31 win. Um, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game, but I think TCU comes out on top. That definitely feels like a historically, if you had to, if you just asked me, um, if you just asked me like, hey, what was the score of Oklahoma State versus TCU in 2000-something? I would say, oh, it was like 38-31. Like, yeah. that just feels like that's the score of this game perpetually, although no, it's been different-sided uh, multiple times. Yeah, I think I, I really think the Oklahoma State defense is kind of the, the mesh point for TCU's success um, because we know that the defense, when it's healthy, can play with anyone and has been a good unit. Has struggled at times, but a lot of that has been, you know, it, the defense looks really good when the offense is competent. Um, and so there's there's general equilibrium effects there. And so if the offense can really get things going and and show some of that uh, late first half, second half, third quarter kind of versatility, um, hopefully in practice Duggan's getting more comfortable on that wheel route with Tay Barber. That's that should be an automatic touchdown. Yep. Um, and so stuff like that I think is going to be really really confusing, especially if TCU runs really really smart. And um, I think this TCU offense has the personnel, especially with Barber back, to be multiple and I think being multiple will really put the pressure on Oklahoma State's offense and that will um, result in TCU being able to be a little more disruptive so I I think I'm taking the frogs I think I'm going a little bit higher mm-hmm. I think TCU is going to break 40 oh um, yeah wow. crazy but I don't I just think this Oklahoma State defense isn't that great um, and TCU is um, you know, if they if they keep up what they did last week, they're a vastly improved team. So mm-hmm. I'm going to say TCU 40, Oklahoma, or TCU 42, Oklahoma State 38. Okay. Um, in a nail biter. I I don't hate that take. I think kind of tying it back to what we said earlier. If we're going to find out if TCU's game against Texas was an outlier, it's going to be this game because Oklahoma State's Definitely. defense gives you the proving ground. It's listen. They're not a good team on the defensive end. No offense to any Cowboys that are listening. Um, TCU has an opportunity to score, like you said, over 40 points. Um, we're at, and Oklahoma State has a good offense, as, as Texas does. So we're going to find out if this is a momentum, a theme for the offense that can carry on, and if the defense can handle a good dual-threat quarterback and a solid running game. Um, I think they can. Uh, I'll be there on, on Saturday. If you see me at Eskimo Joe's, say hi. Um, but I'm curious to see what happens for sure. Okay. Let's take our second break and then we'll come back and do a little, uh, potpourri if you will. Let's do it. All right, Grant. Um, I put out the beacon this week for the, uh, stats of war questions. I unveiled a new hashtag, mm-hmm. which made me feel like a very old person because I immediately had to ask you. Please tell me that's not like some weird, dirty something unintentionally. Um, and you verified that it wasn't. So we have hashtag ask SOW, which I think has a nice ring to it. And we'll get to some of those. We've got, uh, I see four questions here. So we'll, we'll get to some of those. But first, I want to bring up this Ted Wynn athletic piece about how to watch football. Um, Ted Wynn writes for The Athletic about the Oakland Raiders. Um, also, he just writes about football in general. He uh, is on Twitter and he does a bunch of like film breakdown, which is just incredible to watch. He does some really, really good thoughts. And what he did is he wrote an article that just said, Hey, here's what takes you from 
casual fan or dedicated fan to um, competent coach. Here's kind of the gulf, and here's what they're thinking about, and here's some things to look at. And so um, I I sent I sent Grant this article and said we have to read this and talk about this because this was quite literally. Um, one of the most informative pieces of football writing that I have ever read in my entire life. Um, and yeah, so Grant, uh, you read it. We haven't talked about it since you read it. What, um, what were your thoughts on this, on this article? Yeah, I think it was um, extremely informative um, for me, especially on the defensive end and, and, and looking to see, you know, pre-snap what a defense is going to run. It's going to be a cover three, a cover one, man coverage, zone coverage, um, you know, man zone commendation, stuff like that. Um, I've, I've read Chris Brown's, um, the art of smart football, uh, and his companion book, which names explain is escape me right now, but, um, smarter I, football. I think, I think, I think so. Like yeah. I got it for Christmas. Um, anyway, but, but and they were really informative, but, um, this, this had a lot of good visuals, um, in terms of what to look for pre-snap and also sort of, and I'm not tooting my own, own horn here cause I'm an idiot, but I think anyone that watches a football game will say, well, why don't they just throw it to the open man? <laughs> and I think this article gives a good perspective on saying, if you want to find where you think the open man is going to be, watch where the grass is. You know, where's no one on the field? That's where they're going to try to get the receivers, you know, things like that. So I really enjoyed that um, just as sort of a layman that wants to get into college football schematics, pro football schematics. Um and it really, really kind of opened my eyes to what to look at pre-snap. Definitely. Yeah, I went I went back this morning and rewatched some of TCU Texas. Just, you know, it's nice to, again, you're thinking about some of those things, but it's nice to kind of have that fixed point in your mind of look for the grass, and mm-hmm. then you see how the play develops, which is really, really nice. Uh, also has some really good clarification on is this play action or an RPO. And so that was um, that was pretty great as well because you just have – Hey, I don't, you know, I don't 100% know what they're calling. What are some good things to look for? So really, really, really like that. Um, all right, let's knock out some questions and then um, we'll hop off because I've got a guest here in 10 minutes. So um, the first question that we have is from our friend Will Taylor, who says, can data and stats show how losing Lucas Niang might hurt the TCU offense going forward? It's a great question. Um, I can tell you that uh, Lucas Yang did not give up a sack last year at a spot of the tackle position, um, which is extremely impressive. Um, I don't have that stat for this year. TCU hasn't updated it, but um, I mean, you're the stats guy, you're the data guy. I do know that he is a very, very good right tackle. Um, obviously, a high, uh, a highly projected draft pick for the NFL. Um, his departure is interesting just because of what Gary said about it. I'm not going to get into that on the podcast right now, but there seems Ooh, yeah. to be. Unsub- un- yeah, yeah, yeah. Try. I'm not going to test that. <laughs> I, you know, do your own research. But um, no, I, th- I mean, it's a definite loss for TCU. I don't think it's a season ending loss for TCU. I think they can, if not replace his production, do enough to sort of skirt around it, but it, it's not a good thing. Yeah, um, TCU's offense, I, and I don't have this right up in front of me, and that's that's okay. TCU's offense has been, you know, in the top third nationally in stuff rate and highlight rate and some of those offensive line stats, and um, they've, they've had some struggles. You know, I, I highlighted on Twitter today a play where it just looked like the offensive line wasn't talking to each other, mm-hmm. um, and Duggan got sacked as a result. I think we'll expect some of those growing pains, but also I'll, I'll highlight there was a couple of plays where Niang looked like he was hurt and mm-hmm. looked like he was coming up a little short. And so it's, you know, who long, who knows how long he's been playing with, with something nagging. Um, he's been in and out of games the last two, basically since the bye week. So um, I think 
that's kind of nice that you get a little bit of rotation and some other guys there. There will probably be some growing planes, but honestly, I don't think it's as big a blow as it would have been like last year, last year without Niang. I think this team would have been an absolute disaster instead of a scrappy, happy go lucky cheese bowl champion. So, sure. um, I think it hurts, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's world undoing just because, you know, in the spread offense, linemen are, um, good, like, you know, linemen are fairly interchangeable as long as they're competent. Right. Um, and so an excellent lineman will help with the pass protection, but also TCU has experience. Otherwise their line's pretty deep this year. So it's, um, it's sad and we wish Luke as well and For hope sure. he gets drafted highly and, and carries out the TCU name. But also I don't think it's as big a deal as it would have been last year. I mean, it sucks. But, yeah, yeah, no, completely agree. Wish Lucas all the best. Um, I think this is just a good opportunity for more alignment to get experience. But I, I hope he has a long and successful NFL career because TCU has a, a, a long history of putting alignment in the NFL. So hope he continues that and wish the best for him. Definitely. Um, all right, next question. Chris Palmara, Palamara, Palamara asks, what changed in the stats week over week that led us to the win over UT? You have my answer. Um, the second half, we rushed smarter. We passed on early downs more. We increased our expected value on plays. We also schemed a lot better in the passing game. Um, so that's not stats, but we ran uh, more intermediate routes. To be charitable, we could say Tay Barber was healthy and that kind of freed up our scheme that we could do a little bit more multiple routes. Um, I think that also just maybe Gary let Sonny have the reins a little bit more. But um, yeah, I think, I think the passing game is really the difference there. Also, big raw stat, three interceptions. TCU had not forced a turnover since the SMU game heading into Texas. So uh, four interceptions uh, in the game, three in the second half. That was also a big difference. For sure. Um, All right, third out of four questions. The third question is, I think we are seeing more offenses utilize pre-snap movement, a.k.a. motion and reset. Why don't more teams use this with pace to get better matchups? That's from Daniel Duncan. Um, The reason I ask that, because it's not really a question, um that I think I can answer. I just want to point out, Texas had a very interesting strategy uh, in the first half of the game where they came out in bunch and then spread out and then ran a play, which really, really cripples perhaps Gary Patterson's best attribute, which is his play calling. Patterson Um, talked about that in the post-game press mm -hmm. conference. He said every time they came out in bunch, it was tough to match that with a play call. Um, and so I think I think teams are using it. I think we saw Jalen Rager in a jet sweep motion a couple times. I would love to see TCU uh, pull that and have that be play action, and then even hit Rager on the on the wheel route out of that, or hit somebody on the backside. Um, hopefully this weekend, as TCU's offense is hopefully progressing and kind of building, and Duggan is being more trusted and growing a little bit, we'll we'll see some more of those kind of confusion uh, deception plays. Parker, I don't want to put up too hot of a take on this podcast, but I think pre-snap motion is good. That's my take. I'm not afraid to say it. Yeah. I'm I'm not afraid to say it. Um, All right. The last question was slid into my DMs. And so I'm going to protect an an nominated anonymity. Yeah. I wish I hadn't started to say that. I can't say Uh that word. Yeah. I think think, Um, uh, it's finding Nemo all over. I think finding Nemo actually ruined it. I think it did. Um, but so this person says, I noticed that Gary Patterson hasn't used Darius Anderson as much as the last couple of games. I'll note Curtis Looper makes those decisions, but um, I've seen Shewa out there almost every snap, but Darius is out there for maybe a third of those. Why is Darius not being used more? Is he unhealthy again? Um, I bring that up not because I agree with that premise, but I will note that the, the disparity in usage there is really, I think, attributable to one thing. Uh, I lied, two things. One, it's that um, Darius was hurt last year, and I think 
the coaches are a little wary that they used him too much when he wasn't 100% and they made him get hurt worse. So they're very sensitive to that because they know he's got an NFL career ahead of him. Also, Shea was on the field because he can split out and has a little bit better receiving ability. And so he's gotten way more snaps because he's out there because TCU's wide receivers have been thin. But also that means that TCU doesn't have to substitute when they want a running back so they can pull him in and move him around. And so I think a little of that usage has been the thinness at wide receivers kind of pulling Shea um, into more multiple spots. And because TCU doesn't want to substitute, they can pull him back into the backfield. And so he gets more snaps. I think you're exactly right. Patterson addressed that um, either last week or the week before in his press conference. Um, Shewo provides a pass catching, uh, catching option. He's got great hands that Darius, I'm not saying he's a, you know, he has bad hands, but he, he's not as good as Shewo out of the backfield in terms of catching the ball. So, yeah, uh, I'm just echoing what you said. There's no need for me to repeat it. You hit the nail on the head. Which also, I saw today that Pro Football Focus had put out their best, um, like their best wide receiving units and had TC ranked 82nd, which fair. fair. But also, they said Darius Anderson was pulling up their grade because he had had some positively rated receptions. And yeah, no, what you just did with your face, look up and look around. I, I never want to be the watch the games nerd person, but. Uh, watch the games, I, nerd. Watch the like, games, like, nerd. That doesn't feel right. One at of them. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I, yeah, that does not feel right at all. So um, they're me- mechanical Turk, as my friend Rob calls it, just aggregates data and doesn't really think about it. Mm. So, all right, that's all the questions I had. Did you did you see any more? I think I think that was all of them. No, yeah, that's all I got. Awesome. Well, um, Grant, this has been a great episode. Um, always a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, have fun and be safe in Stillwater this weekend. Enjoy a cold one at uh, Eskimo Joe's for us. And other than that, we'll be back here again on Wednesday talking hopefully about a TCU victory. RIP Deadspin. Go Frogs. I'm here now with Adam Lunt of Tape Doesn't Lie podcast, which is an Oklahoma State podcast that focuses on um, film and breaking down kind of granular some of the uh, trends and uh, patterns they see in games uh, every weekend. So really, really great stuff to listen to over there. Really happy to have Adam here tonight. Adam, how are you? I'm doing really well, Parker. How are you? Doing, doing all right. I'm getting excited for this matchup this weekend. Uh, TCU Horn Frogs, 28th in SP Plus, go to the Oklahoma State Cowboys, who are 27th um, overall in SP Plus. So a, a top 30 matchup, a Big 12 conference matchup, a an almost rivalry matchup. We can talk about that, um, and a game that feels a little bit like a referendum for both teams. Um, both teams coming off big wins last weekend. Uh, Oklahoma State upset Iowa State, and TCU did what they normally do, which is beat Texas. Although this year it was an upset just because TCU has or Texas has an old quarterback, and everyone favored them. So, um, Adam, let's talk a little bit about this matchup. Starting off, what um, what are your thoughts, just kind of generally uh, heading in, kind of from the Oklahoma State perspective? Uh, on this matchup, <laughs> I uh, to be honest with you, I really don't have a clue. Uh, you know, I mean, I think the this league just continues to make everyone look stupid, uh, and I, I think it's it's pretty wild where you know both these teams are in similar situations where you know kind of trying to find themselves. You've got two of the you know the the old coaches, if you will, in the league. And you've got a lot of new blood in, in the Big 12 that, you know, a lot of teams making some noise. And then, you know, all of a sudden OSU and TCU 
um, you know, they're <laughs> kind of sitting there saying, hey, we're still here, you know. So uh, I, I don't necessarily have – I don't really know what to make of Oklahoma State. It's more of a – it's, the, I think, the youngest team in Power Five. Um, so it's it's going to be a situation where the team is going to change from week to week from sheer youth. And uh, I know TCU is breaking in a lot of new players as well, but you could obviously see the potential of both teams – um, you know, based off of two big wins last last week. So, I mean, I don't want to dance around your question, Parker, but I, I really, uh, you know, we made our predictions last night on our podcast, and and frankly, I, I don't know what to expect. I mean, I think the spread is down to two and a half, and I don't even know if Vegas knows. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's it's certainly up in the air. Definitely, which um which which feels which feels right uh, for this matchup. I feel like this matchup every year is just kind of a I'm not sure what's going to happen. Um, and it, it happens. I joked with my co-host a little earlier um, that if you asked me the score to an Oklahoma State TCU game in the 2000s, 2010s, I would say, oh, it's like 30 something to 30 something. It just feels <laughs> like that's the game that happens every year. You know, there's been a couple exceptions, but um, sure. yeah, it is. It is just kind of one of those. I don't know. Um, talking about the old coaches. I had a long conversation last week with um, Philip over at 1012 podcast uh, kind of about hires and coaches. And, you know, the Big 12 is as deep in coaching talent as any league. And um, also I'll say just offhand, probably in character uh, coaches top to bottom, some really, really great guys. Um, sure. But it does feel a little bit like TCU and Oklahoma State are kind of stuck in the past. Um, I will say though, Oklahoma State made a pretty ambitious hire this off season, bringing in Sean Gleason from Princeton. Um, how has that offensive coordinator been working out? I know at Big 12 Media Days, Gundy said that they'd still run the same plays and Gleason would just kind of inject some life into the program. But how has Gleason kind of impacted Oklahoma State this season? Well, I think Gundy's kind of... Uh, <laughs> Gundy plays the the role of the all shucks guy really well. Uh, you know, we're just going to do the same thing. And, um, you know, I don't really know what I'm talking about, this and that. And I just... Um, He's I think he's kind of a compulsive liar in that sense that everything he said about the offense is totally untrue. You know, I mean, they've uh, they've completely shifted gears. They've added and injected, uh, you know, a lot of new plays and a, not a, a lot of new concepts and schemes. Um, some probably because of the personnel. I mean, you know, the the quarterback in terms of Spencer Sanders, you know, obviously he has a, a significant run run threat, um, you know, the offensive line is probably a little bit more suited towards uh, more of a power run game now. So some of that may be because of the player personnel, but you got to think, <laughs> I mean, you just hired an offensive coordinator that came from Princeton who implemented all of these new wacky rush schemes and, and, and all that as well. So um, it's, it's been interesting. I think uh, it's kind of a mixed bag. You know, I mean, you got a quarterback that's making a lot of mistakes right now. And Gleason's kind of trying to figure out a way to slowly roll things out um, game by game. So you stop those mistakes and continue to progress as an offense as a whole. It's been a slow process up to this point. I mean, the offense as a whole isn't really what we're accustomed to seeing from Oklahoma State uh, so far, at least. So. Yeah, uh, so we in we in Fort Worth are uh, no stranger to both, uh, <laughs> shall I say, ambiguous, ambiguously <laughs> worded, uh, equivocating coaches, and uh, also quarterback progression and and a couple of mistakes and kind of stringing a guy along. So let's talk about sensor standards for a little bit because it's hard to have a better set of weapons than Chuba Hubbard and Tylen Wallace. Um, what's really been his um, growth this year? Where is he? Where is he succeeding? Where is he still struggling? In your opinion? 
Well, I had the, you know, a lot of people will always go to saying he's a freshman quarterback. He doesn't know the offense, blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, which is probably some of the case where you've got a, a young quarterback, a new offensive coordinator. What I, what I think is at least a 50% offensive install. So there are some moving parts there. Um, but I, I also think there's a lot of components where he's, uh, He's just about a second too slow in terms of his decision-making. He knows where to go with the ball. He's just not necessarily confident in some of his reads yet. Um, I actually had the unique opportunity to go watch three or four practices during fall camp and then actually um, went up and saw uh, some positional meetings with Sean Gleason as well. Um, It was actually literally Sean Gleason, the four quarterbacks, and me and two friends in a room uh, for a full hour. Yeah, it was a really cool experience. Spencer Sanders is an incredibly smart quarterback. Um, you know, he knows, uh, you know, the general structure of the offense and things like that. He's just a freshman who ran, you know, a Denton Ryan, probably one of the most basic offenses I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, now he's thrown into a situation like last week, last week where Iowa State's throwing all kinds of different stuff out of, you know, corner blitzes and, you know, there's not, there's eight DBs on the field, <laughs> you know, so there's just, there's just a, a serious learning curve there that I don't necessarily think he's prepared for. Uh, he's talented. He's just very turnover prone at the moment. <laughs> so, and that'll be definitely be something to watch. TCU has been, uh, uh, defense has been very reluctant to uh, go after turnovers and hasn't really gotten many that changed a little bit last week when they took four interceptions uh, out of Sam Ellinger's hands and really uh, limited his passing attack. So that'll be an interesting matchup to see, especially, you know, we get Gundy versus Patterson every year. And so a little bit, it seems like old news, but it's right now it's the longest tenured rivalry in the big 12 in terms of coaches. Um, And so that's a matchup to see. And I really love this idea that you have kind of this revamped Gleason, um, influence in this as well. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how those styles kind of contrast and match and, and play each other. Um, okay. So let's, let's turn our attention uh, away from Spencer Sanders and talk a little bit about those two weapons I mentioned earlier, Chuba Hubbard and Tylen Wallace. Um, Oklahoma state is rushing the ball a whole lot, um, which feels uh, uncharacteristic, but that's some of the Gleason influence, I think. So tell me about the season Chuba Hubbard, Chuba, uh, <laughs> Chuba Hubbard is having, and uh, tell me why he's not higher in the Heisman voting. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I mean, I think the Heisman's a quarterback, you know, award. So uh, if or a, you know, national title contender award, you know, for what example. You're, what you're like, not saying is an Ohio State award. Oh, yeah, exactly. I was going to say like <laughs> Chase Young yeah. uh, or, or, you know, if you are not a quarterback, you need to be, you know, on a historic run, you know, like Ron Dane type situation where you're on a top three team or whatever. Um, but him as a player is you know he's he's uh, he has a little bit uh, he's disappointing me just a tad with his pass protection but you know i'm very granular with my analysis of him he's he's as he's as good as it gets in terms of college running back i mean he's really added a power component to his game recently um you know coming into this year he's obviously incredibly fast you know he's a former track guy um, but he's he's legit. I mean, he's 6'1", 210. He can run over you. He can run around you. I mean, I, I know it's a little bit cliche, but it's kind of uh, it's kind of the truth. So uh, and and have in mind, I mean, coming into Big 12 season, almost every team realized, holy crap, they're not throwing the ball down the field anymore. So he's been seeing, you know, set six, seven, eight, even eight man boxes at times and still, you know, up over six and a half yards of carry. So I think that's really impressive uh, 
uh, as well to, to take into consideration. So. Definitely. Um, yeah. And his, and it's just his sheer volume. It makes me think of a, a starting pitcher who is, um, you know, above average, but has pitched like thousands of innings. And you think about, uh, man, it's just hard to be that good that consistently. Um, and, and Hubbard really, really is um, in, in, in some alarming volume. Um, okay. Tyler Wallace, man, first off, how about that highlight against uh, Iowa State? And I say that highlight, but there's a couple, but you know which one I'm talking about. Sure. Um, He's having uh, another great season uh, in, in Oklahoma State and is potentially benefiting from this rushing attack, uh, freeing him up a little bit. Well, you know, it's a mixed bag. Uh, and I, I, I would mention Tylen Wallace, uh, Fort Worth, Texas native, by the way, yeah. um, you know, local kid. And, uh, I, you know, I think teams are really, you know, so they're rolling coverage over top of him. And one thing that makes his production even more impressive is the fact that we really haven't even made an attempt to find a second weapon in the passing game, which is really handcuffing the offense, to be honest with you. So teams are coming in and they're basically bracketing him pretty much on, on every single down. So the fact that he's finding, he's getting loose on some of these wide receiver screens, uh, the yards after catch he's finding is really where a lot of his yards are coming from because frankly, you know, the balls down the field aren't there. Uh, because they're rolling, everyone is rolling coverage to him where, you know, you've got a safety over the top. So, you know, obviously everyone saw his ability to be physical after the catch. You know, the the stiff arm was pretty cool. We were talking about it last night about, you know, kind of a, I'm kind of a Florida State fan too. I don't know if you remember the Greg Jones, uh, uh, you know, shiver or whatever, where yeah. he basically took the guy's helmet off. It, it wasn't that vicious, but it reminded me of that play. I'm like, when was the last play I saw a play that was so disrespectful, you know, from that stiff arm? So he, he's a tremendous player, especially at his size. It's, it's very impressive. And also, too, the fact that we have other receivers. Spencer has just not dialed in with them, and it puts even more pressure on Wallace to go out and compete. Uh, so I think that's even, you know, even more so impressive in that aspect. So. Definitely. And I hate, I hate to keep drawing the same parallels, but I mean, TCU with Jalen Rager, a very similar story, just hard to get a guy going when you don't have, um, kind of depth on the, on the other sides. And I've um, cried a little, I've cried a little bit for Jalen Rager. I'm, I'm the biggest, I'm the president of the Jalen Rager fan club, I think. And you, I got a, I, the funny thing is, is I, I have a few circles of friends with Sonny Cumbie in it and I've seen him at like a few kids birthday parties and I always wanted to go up to him and be like, why, why can't you get Jalen Rager the ball more? But I, yeah. I never did. Uh, or never did. why can't you give Jalen Rager the ball on different plays instead of running the jet end sweep two times in a row and getting him killed the second time? Anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, maybe maybe a little here. But, um, okay, so the other thing I want to talk about with Oklahoma State is I, I was looking at your Twitter feed, and there were just some, some great diagrams about the weird defenses that Oklahoma State used to mess around with Iowa State. So Iowa State, a very potent offense, Brock Purdy, uh, in, in, especially in, in October or Brocktober, as some people say. But um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's hard to deal with. And uh, they, they have a pretty high-functioning offense. And Oklahoma State's 50th uh, SP-plus defense, which is on the lower end of the Power Five, um, if you kind of think about 1 to 65 scale. Sure. But uh, what were they able to do that was so disruptive? What were they able to do to kind of get Purdy, um, limit him uh, in, in terms of being able to get themselves in a position to win the game? 
Well, me and my uh, co-hosts were talking about this last night about how I think TCU and I think K-State are the only teams left still running a four-man front defense. And, you know, old Gary P still holding in there, cranking out, you know, quality defense. Um, OSU is not one of those teams. Uh, Jim Knowles, the defense coordinator, historically for 25 years of his coaching career has been a 4-2 coach. And making the shift to this three-man, you know, kind of this three-three-three look that has taken over not only the Big 12 but it's saturating the SEC now and all kinds of uh, different areas. Um, I really think Jim Knowles had to get used to this scheme just as much as all the players did. And uh, you know, every single week it's been a little bit something different. Something's been a little bit more effective than others. It's been really inconsistent. And I think. You know, last two or three weeks, you can kind of see Knowles really starting to settle in um, because coming into this season, Jim Knowles was called the Blitz King because he was just so outrageously aggressive. And last year, it really burned him because, you know, tried to come in and do what he did at Duke and it didn't work. And then, you know, the first six games of this year, he basically abandoned the Blitz altogether. They blitzed twice against Texas two out of like 80 plays against Texas. So, uh, which is unheard of. And I think, um, and then against Baylor was 30% uh, pressure rate, which on our podcast, we track pressure weight, which is basically bringing five or more players on a, Mm -hmm. on a pressure, um, 30% against Baylor and 40% against Iowa state. So I think what you're seeing is, is that a defense, not only the players, but also the coach is kind of settling into the scheme and getting more comfortable we were terrified of Brock Purdy coming into that game uh, in terms of, I think, everyone, uh, especially the Oklahoma State fan base. And to kind of see that progression and be able to force him into that many tough throws was really impressive. And we're just hopeful that it's a trend and not, you know, kind of a flash in the pan game. So Definitely, yeah. And, and one thing I love about Knowles is, I mean, like after last season – uh, he just kind of said, "Hey, yeah, that did that did not go well, and I've got to and I've got to change." And you really respect a guy in a position um, like that, saying, "No, something's got to be different," and then and then employing some of those different things. Um, I love that pressure rate stat. I love those kind of like wonkery, a little bit of like what matters, and and let's find something kind of under the grain or, or off the beaten path, because that's that's a really interesting um, interesting stat. I was just talking with someone today on Twitter about how like using sacks as a measure of defense uh, performance is just not great because it's largely controlled by the quarterback and there's so much else going on. So that pressure rate kind of says, Hey, how successful were they when, when they did something like this? So sure. Yeah. Um, very, very cool. Okay. So I want to um, kind of flip all of those questions, uh, but a little simpler to you from the Oklahoma state side. What are you, um, what do you see as the um, threat and the limitation of TCU's offense facing Oklahoma state's defense? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I think it's hard to not start with the quarterback. I mean, you know, I think first and foremost, it's it's Dugan. It's not Duggan, right? No, no. Uh, opposite. It's Duggan. Damn it. I've been wrong the whole time. It's so confusing. I don't I don't understand it. And it took me probably a month this spring to figure it out. Yeah. So we've been talking about we've been talking Big 12 quarterbacks for like eight or nine months now. And I've been saying Dugan the whole time. And I've been making fun of my podcast host because he's been saying Duggan and he's been right the whole time. Um, so starting with him, I mean, just super efficient game against Texas. Now, Texas is reeling on defense, mm-hmm. um, but still against any type of power five opponent to be able to go out there and, and with that type of performance uh, and then not just, you know, throwing the ball, but 
he can run, you know, and I think that's that's certainly something that you have to be uh, prepared for. I think, honestly, the most impressive, I know we talked about turnovers, and OSU's had a ton of issues with turnovers, but, you know, the fact that he's only had one interception the entire year uh, is super impressive. Now, I'm assuming, I know TCU's kind of had a fumble problem uh, to a certain extent. I don't know if some of those are from him or not. I haven't uh, paid enough uh, attention, but you know he stands off the page. And Rager torched us last year, which he, you know, in my opinion, he should be torching everyone yes. uh, because he's that good. Um, so, and and you know, I know that I already know there's a bunch of Turpin-like five seven track stars that probably have four catches on the season that are that are, you know, poised to go off for 150 yards against <laughs> you, uh, that are just waiting in the wings, you know. So uh, in general, I think there's a lot to be concerned about coming into this game defensively. Uh, I think really uh, from an Oklahoma State perspective, you'd like to come in and limit big plays and force a few turnovers and hope like hell that your offense protects the ball. And that's kind of your goal, uh, you know, from our side. But there, I think uh, – defensively there's a lot to be concerned about for sure definitely yeah and and i'll make a couple points there um one that's kind of been tc's problem is that there isn't really this kind of uh secondary or tertiary uh offensive threat and um tay Tay barber is back and had a pretty great game against texas last week and so potentially that you know we kind of have that second second fiddle that that breaks out um but that's really been a struggle also i don't think you will ever hear a home team cheer for an interception that their team through more than you'll hear TCU people because the whole the whole comment this year has been that like they're not pushing Duggan enough they're not letting him take risks sure. and so it's good that he threw an interception because that means that they were letting him throw enough that he like made a bad throw <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah kind of a, a funny weird inverse so you're All saying right. that the fact so, that he has one interception actually is kind of like a, a more of a production of the coaching staff restricting him that is an indictment of um, kind of two things one I feel like uh, Sonny Cumbie is a little bit stuck in the early 2010s yeah. um, and is not as great without his counterpart, Doug Meacham. Um, and then also Gary Patterson is very concerned about time of possession and very concerned about the run game. And so TCU's kind of in this Jekyll and Hyde of in the first half, we just bang our head against the wall. And sure. in games like Iowa State, we dig into a hole and we can't get it out of it. Uh, Kansas State, we dig into a hole, we score field goals and we score touchdowns. And then second half, Gary's like, okay, well, we got to win and lets us open it up. And then we, we go off a little bit more. So um, that'll, that'll not starting slow, I think is the biggest thing for TCU's offense, just because we've seen it can function at a really high level, but um, it just hasn't done that in a, any sort of sustainable uh, way at all. Yeah. So, makes sense. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's go to the other side of the ball. Let's talk about defensively for Oklahoma state. Uh, no, sorry. Offensively for Oklahoma State against this 4-2-5 um, against a very veteran secondary that has been a little flighty but looked pretty great against Texas. What is um, what's kind of the areas for opportunity for Oklahoma State's offense here? <laughs> I, I'm going to circle back to what the first thing I said is, is like no one knows because <laughs> uh, historically, I think if you take away 2015, I think you could go back to all the way to when TCU even first joined the Big 12. And, and Gary Patterson has really owned OSU from a, you know, an offense, like a coming in and stopping Oklahoma State offense. I mean, I, I would highlight that 2015 year, I think was really an outlier 
in terms of, you know, I don't, there was just so many broken assignments in the secondary. I don't know how Patterson slept that night because he's probably so mad. Yeah. Uh, but if you look at, you know, year after year, OSU's pumping out these great offenses and laying a dud, uh, you know, at highlight 2017 is almost the worst one where, you know, it was, it was just a scary output against TCU and Stillwater. So, but the weird thing is, is that I think that was a lot based off offense coordinator, Mike Yurcich, really just not being able to figure out Gary Patterson. Um, that was a really interesting matchup that he basically lost almost every, every time. Uh, you know, enter in Sean Gleason, and this is a new looking or new uh, new Oklahoma State offense to a certain extent. Um, you know, more one to two tight end looks, um, more diverse run game, less diverse pass game to a certain extent, uh, more ball control. So, it's going to be interesting. I still think that the, probably TCU has a, a, an advantage on that side of the ball. Uh, I really do think it's going to come down to the fact of can OSU have, let's say, one turnover or less uh, would be the one huge item I would, I would highlight. And if it's two plus, then I think it's really going to be hard for them to overcome that uh, to win the game would be my opinion. So. Definitely. Okay, let's let's bundle that into a prediction. So I have I have three questions left for you. The first one is prediction. I'm going to put you on the spot. No one will listen to this. No one will second guess you. Uh, gut <laughs> gut instinct. What do you think is going to happen this weekend? So my my official prediction was is I picked Oklahoma State to win 30 to 28. Um, my gut instinct instinct is that TCU wins by like seven plus. Um, I just think that uh, I, I don't know. I think. TCU's kind of turning the corner at the right time. You could also make it a, uh, a point or like a uh, an argument that Oklahoma State is as well. Um, I don't feel as confident there as maybe I do on, on TCU. I just think that TCU has a better chance of protecting the ball. Um, however, with the home crowd and things like that, I, I do think, you know, if I put my money in it, I would bet on Oklahoma State to win, but TCU to cover, I guess, is my – and that's kind of a cop-out. But I, but that's where I'm at. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's totally fair. Yeah. And um, I mean, I think that would be very on brand for TCU to either get rocked by Iowa State and then beat the team that beat Iowa State the year the week before <laughs> or to have a great game against Texas and then come out and lose 50 to nothing against Oklahoma State. So um, either either way, I can see. Uh, that happening okay the transitive my, the transitive yeah. theory really takes a beating in the big 12 so yeah uh, yeah <laughs> it does not uh yeah so i'm i'm, I'm an economist by trade now i would say the transitive property does not uh, yeah we we don't we don't satisfy transitive transitivity <laughs> no. um okay so two two more questions um one i put all my guests on the spot tell me your four playoff teams oh man it could be who you think or who's the most likely or who's the most fun any any of those answers Oh, um, well, Ohio State's going to walk through. That's a no-brainer. Uh, you know, uh, do we know uh, – I forgot. Is is LSU, Alabama, in Tuscaloosa or Baton Rouge? I can't remember. It's so hard for me because I picture the game last year and LSU wears white at home. So I think, I think Alabama went to LSU last year and LSU is going to Alabama this year. So I'm going to – man – Auburn was so good at defending them this week. I'm so hesitant on LSU, but I'm just going to roll the dice and say LSU. I'm going to go LSU, Alabama. I'm going to say two get in from the SEC. 
Ohio State, and oh man, this is going to be brutal. I'm, I'm taking way too long to answer this. Uh, Clemson, yeah, of course Clemson. They'll go undefeated. So, which would be like the ultimate, like stereotypical four. But I'll go Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, Clemson as my four. Awesome. I am rooting very hard that that is not the four. But <laughs> I, I hope like hell that's not the four. But give me that uh, one loss, Wake Forest, in the, in the playoff. <laughs> um, okay, but I, I don't want Baylor. No, Baylor oh. would not be fun. I'm sure I don't have to explain myself to TCU fans there. So oh, and they're good this year. Ugh, oh, I don't know what to talk about. Um, okay, my last question. We'll wrap up here. Um, just kind of uh, off the cuff because this is a statsy podcast and something I sure. like to talk about. So if you were going to look at a team and say, "Here's one metric that helps me the best evaluate what I want to evaluate on this team." So if you're just saying, "Hey, I want to compare teams," I'm going to look at one metric. What's your go-to? What do you often look at? Uh, that's a good one. Uh, you know, yards per play differential is pretty good. So for example, you know, the difference between yards per play gain versus yards per play average. Um, I'm kind of fading on points per drive a little bit. Um, man, like, so an overall team, I guess I would go yards per play differential. So, I mean, it gives you the most, uh, the most overall picture of the entire team. If I could pick one, but that's an incredibly, there's so many metrics these days that it's, it's incredibly hard to pick one, but that would be the one that I would probably highlight that where it could give you like the cleanest look as to, as to how, how good a team is on both sides of the ball. So. Definitely. Yeah. And that's, I, I'm just kind of working on parsimony of like, I just want one thing and I don't want it to be convoluted. It's like, what's the simplest way I can just say, these guys are good and these guys are bad. So yards per play differential is a pretty good one. That's a that's a good answer. Um, okay, so uh, Adam, tell us where we can find you on the internet and read more of your work and listen and follow along and everything. Sure, yeah. So my personal Twitter account is at Adam Lunt. That's L-U-N-T, which rhymes with some cool stuff. Uh, Adam, like at Adam Lunt. <laughs> no, that is punting is the worst thing ever. Uh, <laughs> not cool at all. Adam Lunt, eight, uh, 817. Um, I am local here in Fort Worth, so uh, shout out to, to the funk, funk Town. Um, and then you can check out our podcast, which you probably never will, because it's way too in-depth for Oklahoma State. But it's, uh, it's called Tape Doesn't Lie. You can hit us up on Twitter at, at Tape Doesn't Lie Pod. So that's how you can reach us. Awesome. Adam, thanks so much for being here tonight. Uh, looking forward to um, the game this weekend and seeing the content that you have uh, post-game, because you guys put out some really great stuff. So um, other than that, uh, listeners, make sure you follow me at Stats of War. If you're listening to this podcast, I can't imagine that you're not already following me. But just in that case, go ahead and do that. And otherwise, uh, looking forward to a great game this weekend. Likewise. Thanks for having me, Parker. Appreciate it. <laughs>